1: Hello, this is Henry.
2: Hey, hey, hey Henry. This is uh, this is Alex Jones. Uh, can, can you hear me okay?
1: Yeah, Alex, I can. I can hear you. Fine. Um, thanks for thanks for calling. Um, I'm not really too sure what you wanted to talk about.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get to that. Uh, but first, uh, your toasters are unplugged, right?
1: Yes, Alex. I got the encoded message from your carrier pigeon. I unplugged all of my toasters, so don't worry. Uh, all right.
2: You you, you never know who's listening. So the reason why I I reached out to you, Henry, is because you're the only person I can trust. Um, I'm about to break a big story, and and, and the globalists are going to be doing everything they can to stop me from breaking it. I got the documents that prove that that Lena Dunham right now is out in America trying to gather four-ton crystals. And what these four-ton crystals are is a form every single time someone doesn't rate and review your podcast or give it a five-star rating. These photon crystals, they contain fragments of the soul of Joseph Stalin.
1: Alex, photon crystals?
2: Yeah, photon crystals. I have all the documents right here. And once she gets enough of them, she's going to open an interdimensional portal and summon the remains of Joseph Stalin to create a new Soviet Union in America.
1: Alex, um, have you been drinking?
2: No, Henry, I haven't been drinking. Soros is behind this, too. You need to get people to rate and review your podcast and give it a five-star rating and review, especially if you're on iTunes.
1: Thanks, Alex. I, I appreciate it. I'm a bit confused, but um, thanks for the call. It's
2: happening. The globals are about to make their move. They're going to make a...
1: first and foremost it's great to be speaking with you again and i'm really sorry for what's going what's happening that totally is ridiculous
3: Uh, well thanks guys it's good to be with you again uh it's um you know there's benefit to it there's a real benefit to it like uh, what we're seeing here is um, the exposure of the arrogance of power Uh, their smugness is allowing us an opportunity to clearly show why we are running, why we are doing this, you know, why there is a need for multi-party democracy, why we say the two-party system is corrupt and undemocratic and uh, uh, harmful, and they're giving us the example. Uh, and so uh, there's a benefit to it. Yeah, I, I would much rather prefer not to be spending my campaign fighting against the state, fighting against the Democratic Party, doing all this legal and administrative and bureaucratic work for months. Uh, I'd much rather be out campaigning, talking about health care and housing. Uh, the war on drugs, uh, other things that are uh, important to people. Uh, but this does have a value to it because it proves our point um, and it demonstrates you know, what the system is like and why we need to change it.
1: Well, like first and foremost, let me just introduce you. Um, let's do our quick introduction. This is Henry Zamota, Danny Abdel-Jabbar. This is another episode of Bro History. We have uh, Matthew Ho on the line, and uh, Matthew Ho is a uh, decorated captain in the Marine Corps. Um, You also work for the State Department as part of the uh, Provincial Reconstruction Team uh, in Afghanistan. And uh, Matt famously came out in 2009. He blew the whistle on the Afghan surge. And now Matt is running for Senate in the Green Party in North Carolina. And uh, what we're talking about today is that um, Matt—I'll let you explain— Matt, why don't you explain what, what exactly happened in your, in your Senate run and, and, and what legal case you're dealing with right now? Because when I was reading about it, I honestly was just like confused, to be completely honest. I was like, yeah, what this is
3: really going on? Is this real? <laughs> There's multiple yeah. levels to it. And it, um, you know, people who've been involved in politics for 30 years, they've never seen anything like this. I was on a podcast the other day with the, uh, the chair of the Libertarian Party. You know this is someone who is obviously quite knowledgeable and has seen a lot of stuff and the libertarians experience a lot of similar types of uh of uh, uh frustrations and trying to get ballot access that the green party does and uh you know her expression as i was explaining this was your jaw dropped i mean um the so to back it all up we uh, with the green party here in north carolina um, i'm the candidate for u.s senate And so in order to be on the ballot in November, we had to be recognized as a new political party by the state of North Carolina. In order to do so, we had to do a petition and we had to go out and get signatures and we needed 13,865 verified signatures. Uh, We collected more than 22,500 signatures of that almost 16,000 were verified. Um, That difference in uh, what we collected or what's verified is common uh, across the country uh, the rule is basically the average is is that for every four signatures you collect about three will count and one will get thrown out because the address is not correct the person thinks they're registered they're not registered so we were right in that band of 70 75 percent in terms of our verification rate so and we were over what we needed by more than 2100 so we had turned these signatures in to be verified by the county boards of elections. We turned in uh, signatures to 96 out of 100 North Carolina counties. And then uh, we received them back. And again, we had, more than 20, we had almost 2100 more than we needed. And then we turned them into the State Board of Elections for a certification. And the State Board of Elections took the full 30 days. Um, and this is this is why it's complicated, because there's so many different layers and levels to this. Um, one of the things that has frustrated us is that because uh, there has been so many things done procedurally wrong, as well as the interference by the Democratic Party, it makes this not a very simple fight to be in. That, you know, it's a complicated legal issue here because there are so many different um, uh aspects of this. But to give an idea of one of those aspects, so the way the process works is that we had to turn in our signatures to be verified by the county boards of election by May 17th. We then had to turn in those verified signatures to the state board of elections to be certified as a political party, right, to be recognized and be able to be on the ballot by uh, June 1st. And then by July 1st, we had to be Uh, certified by the state, but we also had to hold a nominating convention. We had to have our folks go and register as Greens throughout the state. And then the candidates, we had to go and file for candidacy. So to show you just right off the bat how there was bad faith by the State Board of Elections, the State Board of Elections did not hold their certification hearing until June 30th, the very last day possible. So that even if they had certified us, that would have given us less than a day to get all those other things done, including holding a nominating convention, Uh, before the July 1 deadline. So there's always an element of bad faith here. But what happens is that, you know, as I explained before, there were these signatures that didn't count. They were not validated for a variety of different reasons. And that happens all the time in petitioning. And what the State Board of Elections said was that there there were irregularities. And that because there were irregularities in some of these uh, non-validated signatures, well, that means there could be irregularities in the validating signatures. And because there could be irregularities in the validated signatures, well, they needed to investigate those signatures. But because today is June 30th, going back to the hearing, right? And tomorrow is a deadline, we don't have time to to investigate. So we can't certify. And in a three to two decision, the the board of the State Board of Elections is three Democrats and two Republicans, they denied our certification. Um, And their argument was essentially that. There could be, problems. There could be something wrong. We don't know that there is. We have no evidence that there is. We certainly haven't provided you, the Green Party, with any due process. We're not going to answer your questions and we're not going to provide any legal justification for not certifying you. And so now almost two months after our, our turning in of our signatures to be certified, we still have not received the evidence of what is wrong. We still not received any due process in this. And we still have not received a legal justification for why we were not certified after we had turned in 2,100 more signatures that were validated by the county boards of elections that were required to be certified. So we filed a a, a lawsuit against the North Carolina State Board of Elections. Uh, We're in federal court, the uh, the Eastern District Court of North Carolina. And we are uh, stating that our first and 14th constitutional rights were violated, Uh, our due process rights we're violating and we're asking the court to intervene to certify us and place our candidates on the ballot. And there's a whole host of other things in this, including the involvement of the Democratic senatorial campaign committee uh, in this whole affair, collusion with the governor's office, uh, aspects of the deadline of the ballot printing, which is about August 15th, which the state keeps saying, this ballot printing is coming up. We may not be able to get this done in time. So like, as I was saying, there's multiple layers to it, but right now the primary thing is we're in court, gonna be in front of a judge the, uh, on August 8th after all the filings have been done and we expect the court to rule in our favor. Yikes. Okay, so let me, let me try and get this straight because that's a lot of stuff. And I left a lot of stuff out.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you did. Okay, so the dummy version that I'm hearing on this is that you try to run for Senate. In order to run for Senate, you got to get some signatures. Right. You got the signatures. You got more of more signatures than you needed, including a a margin that would get thrown out either way. You submit everything on time. You give in all your paperwork and you're just waiting. You don't really get an answer as to why they haven't looked into your particular case and looked into certifying you. And on the very last day possible, when they go to look into certifying you they tell you no because there's irregularities and well you know guilty and pro- until proven innocent I'm, I'm assuming on this on this point right they're not giving you any information as to why or what irregularities or you know i don't know what the process should be but because right. you're too late now because there's only one day to do it sucks for you and then you turn around and you're like all right well you're obviously violating some of my rights here so you turn around and sue and now there's i guess a potential for uh the courts to overturn that decision and potentially get you guys back on the ballot
3: yeah i is mean that... anyone who looks at this objectively uh and i've had democratic party officers both north carolina democratic party officers and national level democratic party officers say to me privately uh this is insane this is not <laughs> this is what, what i mean i don't know why they did this you know um you know Again, it, it, it's like to give us some more context, through the month of June, as they had our signatures, um, we worked with the State Board of Elections. They said, we have some questions. We said, okay, what, what do you need? We fully cooperated. We met with their investigators. We gave them all our information, everything. And uh, we, you know, two days before the certification hearing on the 30th, my campaign manager is talking to the lead investigator for the State Board of Elections, and he's more or less saying, there's nothing here. Don't worry about it. And then when we go into the certification hearing, uh, certification hearing on the thirtieth, though, where the political appointees are present. So when it moves from the career folks at the state board of elections, like the guy who is the lead investigator is a retired Brooklyn detective, you know, like that kind of thing. Like right, I mean, like that. And, and same thing too, the people we've worked with at the state board of elections on the career level. You know, they've been nothing but professional. It's when we got to the hearing level, the board level, and we dealt with the political appointees, and this is why they are political appointees. The, 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 The three Democrats and the two Republicans that make up the board and the executive director, who's also a political appointee, they're not there because, you know, they've got a passion for democracy or because they're election law specialists. I mean, they might be, but their main purpose in being there is to make sure that when a time comes like this, they will demonstrate the loyalty that the party demands. And that's certainly what they did. And I mean, the the arguments the Republicans were making in our favor, I know if we were a conservative candidate, if I was a conservative candidate, they would have been making the opposite and Democrats would have been arguing for us. And to make this even more absurd, honest to God, the last time they met, they had another, another issue. And this was about signature checking on absentee ballots. And the two sides literally argued the opposite. So whereas the State Board of Elections in our case was saying we have to go back and you have to check all these signatures again and everything else, in this other case with absentee ballots, the Democrats were arguing, we can't go back and check, there's no requirement to check signatures, you know. and the Republicans were arguing the opposite. So literally in a board, board meeting, you have the one side arguing to check signatures, and then in the next session, half hour later, They are arguing we can't check signatures and the same on the other side too so the absurdity of this the hypocrisy and again but the system is corrupt um you know one of the things uh you know that was made clear was that prior to our uh petition the state board of elections has never investigated signatures as they are doing our understanding is that throughout the whole 2020 election signal the state board of elections never looked at one signature. Uh, and we also have one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of our witnesses for us in the court case is the chair of the Libertarian Party here in North Carolina, a guy named Brian Irving. And he's been, he's been doing this for 30 years. And he's been part of eight petition efforts in North Carolina. And he's witnessed he signed a declaration for us saying that in the eight petition efforts I've been a part of, never once has a state board of elections not just certified what the counties have done. So you know, I mean, there's hypocrisy. There's certainly a targeting here because we are being treated as a special case. Uh, you know, we haven't even gotten into the fact, you know, what the Democratic Party has been doing in parallel to all this, which is where there actually is fraud. You know, and it really is. Uh, uh, it, it's 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 so brazen, and this is where you get into the aspects of the smugness of, of, of pa- the smugness and the arrogance of power and you know it really is it, it's quite startling and, and again people who've been involved in politics for 30 years whether they've been whether they be part, whether they are politicians or part of campaigns or journalists or whatever you know they'll say they've never seen anything like this so so you, you, uh, before we jump into the you know the the
0: more nefarious uh, bits of your story here i just want to get something straight cuz i was going to ask you this and it sounded like you pretty much answered it for me but i just wanted to confirm other non major party actors who have gone through this process haven't been given the same scrutiny as your as you have specifically or, or your party has right you were just talking about the libertarians right and and the one the one gentleman that you were referring to said that in eight instances of this he had never been uh, never given the same level of scrutiny that you guys have correct
3: Right. I mean, according to both board members at the State Board of Elections, uh, according to yeah, Brian Irving and others, this is unprecedented. Uh, the idea that the State Board is now going to uh, uh, investigate what the counties did and claim that the counties did not do their jobs correctly. Which is causing, of course, obviously uh, a rift between the counties and the state because you now have uh, the Democratic Party came in and filed complaints against four county boards of elections saying that they didn't do their jobs properly when they validated our signatures. And, of course, the county boards are saying, wait, hang on, we did everything properly. You know, one of them actually spoke to the press. So you're seeing things happening here that you wouldn't normally see. You know, a county board of election director speaking out and saying, This is completely wrong. There's no merit to this. We went back and looked at it. This is all trumped up nonsense. And these are all Democrats because the leadership of the County Board of Elections, like the leadership of the State Board of Elections, are Democratic points because the governor is Democrat. And so you have the Democratic Party coming from outside the state. This is not the North Carolina Democratic Party. This is the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee in DC coming down here and intervening. And uh, so you, you can really see where It's just this um, where the, 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 again, the arrogance, the entitlement, the the fear of and the hostility towards anyone who's possibly challenging that entitlement, how the reaction is just very hostile and very much something that they want to squash without thinking through what are the consequences going to be. Because, you know, I mean, one of the things that it's very clear is that if they had just certified us. Back on June uh, on June 30th, or just had done it in a way that we were able to be on the ballot. Like I probably wouldn't be here talking to you guys today. You know, I wouldn't. We wouldn't, wouldn't have had a, a, an Associated Press story run about this throughout the nation today. We wouldn't have been on NPR last week. You know, I wouldn't have been. You know, all that type of stuff. So we're getting a lot of attention that we're getting because of their arrogance. Um, yeah. So, but it is. It's. Uh, um, uh, what we're seeing here is uh, uh, again, it exposes, and inv- improves the point of, of what, what we're arguing. So, so I, I want to hang on that point, the fear that you made,
0: that they have some kind of fear. You must represent some serious challenge, specifically to the Democratic Party, if they thought that you were worth, <laughs> you were worth like shutting down this way, right? Um, right.
3: Like, yeah, they, they didn't. Um, they, they came right down here, the DSC, you know, so Chuck Schumer's outfit, you know, this became a national issue very quickly for them. And so they came down here right away, and it was the Mark, uh, it was Elias Law Group, which is Mark Elias's law firm that's doing their work. And people who don't know Mark Elias, you can look him up, Google him, uh, read through his Wikipedia page. You'll understand why he is arguably the most prominent attorney in the Democratic Party. And the Elias Law Group bills itself as the. The biggest and strongest law firm within the Democratic Party, and uh, you know the reason for that is they are threatened, and it's not because of me or it's not because of the Green Party. It's because of the issues we represent. Mm-hmm. If we're not on the ballot in November, there are no options uh, for U.S. Senate. Uh, in terms of single-payer health care, in terms of affordable housing, in terms of an annualized living wage, uh, in terms of ending the war on drugs, in, in terms of uh, ending the war overseas, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, the, uh, real action on the climate, you know, those things are not represented if we are not on the ballot in November. And mm-hmm. those things represent a constituency uh, that otherwise is unrepresented, particularly predominantly working families. And those working families and those issues they are a threat to the profits of the donors behind the Democrats, and also to the Republicans. The foundation of the duopoly, if you will, and that's why they are so threatened by it. They do not want to have a conversation about healthcare. They don't. We just in this state just last week, or just earlier this week, the numbers came, numbers came out for rent rental prices, and uh, in the, across the state we've had a thirty percent rise in rental costs. Uh, in the last year and in parts of the state, like where I live, it's been a 50% increase in rent and they don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to have that conversation. So if we're not on the ballot, they don't have to have it. But if we are on the ballot, then they do. And that's what scares them. A 50%
1: increase in
3: rent. Yep. Yeah,
1: Yep. absolutely. Oh boy, absolutely. I thought I had that I mean, bad with a 30% increase.
3: Yeah. I mean, across the state, it's 30%. And in, and in uh, most of our uh, uh, m- larger populated areas, it's 50%, um, 47%, 48%, 51%, depending on where you are. Um, And then of course, housing prices are uh, anywhere from 20 to 30% higher than they were. So Mm -hmm. we're also dealing with the issue of corporations coming in and purchasing homes. And they come in and they tend to purchase the entry level homes, right? The homes that uh, uh, a young husband and wife would be hoping to purchase, and uh, they tend to um, uh, 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 they, they tend to come in and target particular communities uh, and then what they do when they purchase those homes is they uh, uh, either rent them out at much higher rates than our average uh, but on the other side too what they'll do is they will come in and they will purchase a number of homes in an area in order to inflate the price of the area right? the comps if you will mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then they start selling those homes off Right, so they come in, they use the vast amount of capital they have, vast amount of money they have, amount of cash they have, buy up a bunch of homes in a, in a certain area, artificially raise the price, and then they flip them. Um, I mean, so it really it's this really exploitive, criminal, uh, uh you know, racket uh, that's occurring throughout North Carolina, uh, in terms of these corporations. But that's just one more, one other aspect of the overall housing crisis we're having here. And again, if we're not on the ballot. No one's going to be talking about these things. Mm.
0: Well, so some of this sounds really counterproductive for specifically the Democratic Party to go after candidates like you, because I feel like, let's just say you were on the ballot and you did win. I feel like, and and maybe this is my naivete, but I feel like they would have allyship with you being on the left, more so than, say, a a conservative candidate. And, And I'm wondering, maybe you can help me understand better the differences between the Democratic Party and its platform and the Green Party and its platform other than the obvious duopoly situation, right? right? Like obviously, you know, you're not part of the duopoly, but it seems like there is quite a bit of overlap, at least on paper with some of the things that, you know, at least from my superficial standpoint, like seem like they would be, they would work well together. You would probably vote alongside Democrats more of the time than you would alongside, say, Republicans. Although, you know, you tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no, I mean, certainly, yeah. You know?
3: the, the, the difference is, is that you do have similarities, but then there are very real differences in terms of, you know, what we, crit- what we call the, the, the Republicans and Democrats are, excuse me, we call them the parties of war on Wall Street. And that's where you see, excuse me, the, the fun of that overlap between the Democrat and Republican parties. So what I would say is that looking at say today or yesterday the uh, bill to provide the what, 50 or 70 billion dollars in subsidies to the microchip uh, uh, companies. Um, mm-hmm. That is something that myself and my party would never support. You know, And that's something that has bipartisan support from both Republicans and Democrats. Like those types of corporate subsidies, whatever is best for. The banks, the corporations. You will see the Democrats and Republicans unite to do that, and that mm-hmm. takes a form of, of war, of course, of uh, uh, aspects of healthcare, of, of pharmaceuticals, of agriculture, of of you know banking, obviously, you know uh, various aspects of manufacturing. Um, you know, in the sense of that, they just had a a CNBC a week or two ago just said that. Uh, North Carolina was the best state in the United States to do business. And their accompanying story was that this is a bipartisan success story that the Democrats and Republicans have put aside their differences to make North Carolina the best state for business in the nation. Now, the Mm -hmm. corollary of that is that Oxfam last year says that North Carolina is the worst state in the nation for workers. And, you know, the reason why it's the best state for business is because workers are uh, uh, they're not paid, fair or just waged, they're abused, they're exploited, right? They have, we have the worst unionization rate or the second worst unionization rate in the country. Uh, you know, There's a reason why businesses do so well here, it's because workers do so poorly here. And that bipartisan success story about businesses doing so well is one of the ways that you can show that, look, we are fundamentally different than the Democrats, fundamentally different than the Republicans. We are not on the side of business, we are on the side of workers. Being on the side of business is what causes one in four North Carolinian adults to be in collections for medical debt. Not in debt, but in collections for medical debt, one in four. Right. Or That's half of hard. our school kids. right? Exactly. How is that sustainable? You take away even the morality and the justice of all that. How right. is that sustainable? Anyone looking at that has to say, this is, this, this is dangerous. This is going to crater our economy. You know, Another side of that is, is half of our school kids, 52% of our school kids in North Carolina Qualify for free school lunch. Right? That is a product. More than half. More than half. That is a product of North Carolina being the best state in the nation for business. And that's what we say about the parties of war on Wall Street. And that's what makes us different. That, you know, this idea that somehow on, on a number of these issues, right, take healthcare. Um, you know, we have, uh, uh, what was the study that came out from um, uh, uh, National Academy of Science last month? Uh, one in three COVID deaths are attributable to not having health care. So million dead Americans, more than 330,000 were killed by for-profit health care. Uh, to ha- say that that itself is not a large enough issue to have someone just running solely on that, let alone all the other aspects of, of you know, what we're talking about, but just health care. You know, how, how, how is that possible? How can you say that we shouldn't have somebody on the ballot who's arguing against the current for-profit healthcare structure we have in this country, particularly when we can compare it to other nations all around the world and see how terrible ours is, how deadly ours is, right? I mean, so the number of things that are life and death for people that we represent that the Democrats and Republicans don't, that Democrats and Republicans do overlap on. You know, one of the things I, 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 you think about, you look at like say the January 6th hearings and you know, however you feel about it, all of all, all that, one thing I think everyone agrees on is that no one's profits are in danger from the January 6th hearings. Whatever January 6th hearings come up with, uh, Mm -hmm. Monsanto, Goldman Sachs, Raytheon, all their profits are gonna be fine, right? But the idea of having hearings on the wars, having hearings on the war on drugs, have the hearings on what's happening at the border, have the hearings on you know anything—a host of the pandemic, whatever—all the different financial crashes we've had that have been caused by Wall Street. You'll never see those because those affect the donors of the Republicans and Democratic Party. So you know, I could be here all night talking about all the differences between us. You know, and uh, but it really comes down to, yeah, of course, we have some overlap, but the Republicans and Democrats have overlap as well. We have overlap with the libertarians. They have overlap with the republicans, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's just the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules, right? <laughs> That's essentially so. That's essentially so. I mean, one of the things you look at this 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 Manchin Schumer um, deal on the climate, uh, you know, if, if you go and you look at what the, the Center for Biological Diversity found, you got to go all the way back of the 700 pages of that thing. But what they found is that, for order for that climate legislation to kick in, in order for any of the new solar and wind uh, uh, production that 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 were promised with that bill, uh, we more or less have to double the sale of onshore and offshore oil and gas leases. Double. You know, the, the requirement in that bill is is for two million acres of onshore. Uh, public lands to be leased every year for 10 years. We currently lease about 1 million acres of land every year for oil and gas, and now that's going to a requirement to lease at least 2 million acres, and then 60 million acres of offshore every year. Uh, this past year when the Biden administration uh, leased 80 million acres, that was a record by far. So you're talking about leasing uh, uh, 600 million acres of of offshore, uh, uh, of, of offshore water for oil and gas drilling, uh, you know. I mean, so anything that this, this this climate bill supposedly does is completely negated by that. And actually, because we're doubling the amount, we're, we're actually worse in the situation. That's the type of thing that if I was in the Senate, I would be standing up against, rather than jumping on this and saying this is a great deal and it's going to save the planet, et cetera, et cetera. When it's actually going to cause an enormous amount of harm, but it's going to make the fossil fuel companies.
4: So turn to the nerds to answer your real world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a
0: foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. Plus, my pal and noted China historian, Rana Mitter, joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and
2: explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th.
0: So now I'm starting to understand, I think, a little bit of why you you specifically, but also the Green Party, generally can represent um, some uh, uh, threat to the Democratic Party specifically, because you are on the left as the Democrats are. But as we've learned through your explanations here, the Democrats are left leaning as long as it makes sense for the corporations or the war. So because what you're proposing and what your party stands for has implications that aren't necessarily super uh, uh, great for those corporations, but consequently are great for the people, they don't really like that and that you represent a threat but what they've done here is created a (laughs) shitstorm that is now drawing more attention to you and the green party specifically and i think this is a good time for us to talk a little bit about exactly what it is outside of just not certifying you that makes this story so crazy so tell tell
3: us a little bit about some of the nefarious things so, in, in, yeah, in parallel, Danny and Henry, to what we're dealing with the state board of elections, the as I had said before, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the DSCC, shows up down here with the Elias Law Group, right? Almost right away, almost right after we turned in our signatures, there is a, there is this uh, disbelief that we'd be able to do it. I'd hear from various Democratic Party people that uh, there's no way you guys are collecting those signatures, et cetera, et cetera. You can't get it done, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's some disbelief that we we're going to do, it, and we did it. We we crushed it, and then. Um, you know, that's another thing that threatens them as we just to get back to that real mm-hmm. quick. The, the, the enthusiasm we met while we we're out there petitioning for uh, something different, for more political options, for a different party was, was enormous. I mean, we were just met by that enthusiasm everywhere we went. We, uh, the last two weeks of our petitioning campaign happened to overlap with the early primary voting here in North Carolina. And so we petitioned at the polling places. So we went to like the most partisan place we could go to. We petitioned. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking like, man, I don't want to do this. I'm going to get into people are going to be like calling me an apologist for Putin and all kinds of nonsense. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, but it didn't happen. I mean, literally, literally, I mean, not misusing the term, literally, literally two or three minutes after someone had filled out their Democratic Party or Republican Party primary ballot, we would talk to them in the parking lot, the polling place, and they would sign a petition to get the Green Party on the ballot. Huh. I mean like, so we were at the most partisan place we could find and we were being met with enthusiasm. And I went and I did that at four or five different polling places and not once did I get hit with any type of you're spoiling it, you're a tool of the Republic, any of that. People who were who were taking part in a partisan uh, uh, primary. Uh, and I'm in, I'm, I was in Raleigh, so Raleigh is a blue town. I mean, Bl- Wake County where I'm is blue. Like I was at Democrat, uh, it, it You know, intense Democratic polling places. And now, I mean, people were excited for an, So that's what threatens them as well is, is this understanding that people are fed up. People are angry. People are disgusted. So what happens is after we turn in our signatures, though, on June 1st, not in a long after that, we hear that the Elias law firm is down here working. And so, OK, I mean, we kind of expected to be challenged. We, we knew that, that something would occur. Um, we didn't expect. Uh, how they actually would go about it. What they did was working with the governor's office, and this is one of the things we allege in our lawsuit, and this shows the political interference because the governor's office is supposed to be a nonpartisan executive agency of the government. And we have evidence that the governor's office worked with the Elias Law Group to get the State Board of Elections to give the Elias Law Group our petition records. So the Elias Law Group receives our petition records, you know, our 22,500 signatures. And uh, not long after that, we start getting phone calls from people. We, the Green Party, start getting phone calls from people. And they're saying, hey, somebody called me and asked me to take my name off the petition I signed for you guys. Excuse me. And then not long after that, day or two after that, we start hearing from people saying, hey, how come you guys called me and asked me to take my, your name, my name off of your petition? And we said, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> and what ha- what's that? happening is that They're calling people, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee is calling people and asking people to remove their names. They call under the guise of of, of checking the integrity of the petition, making sure people sign because they are alleging that we committed fraud, which just as another example of how farcical this whole thing is. So we were out there, again, collected 22,500 signatures. We've talked to probably twice that many people. Uh, so over the course of months, speaking to tens of thousands of people, not one person ever filed a complaint with any of the county boards of elections or the state board of elections about what we were doing, right? Nobody ever called and said, these guys are up to something shady or I was misled or you know any of that. You know, It's not until the DSCC shows up from DC and then they start to say that there's fraud. And as you'll see, actually, they are the ones that are committing the fraud. So what they're doing is is... They're, they're, they're calling people and they're under the guise of checking the integrity of the petitioning process. But it's all about trying to harass, bully, shame people, get them to retract their signatures. If you keep your signature on, this will help the Republicans win. Abortion is in the balance. Uh, you, you don't want to do anything that's going to help you know, hurt us and cause us to lose our abortion rights here in North Carolina. Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they're doing is they're saying, sometimes they do say they're the Democratic Party. Other times they refuse to say who they are. And then, but what happens is they stay there with the Green Party. Um, mm-hmm. And then they proceed to start texting people uh, and then they start showing up at people's homes. And when they show up at people's homes, I don't think when they show up at people's homes, they say that they're the Green Party. But what they've moved on to saying is that they're with the State Board of Elections or with the Secretary of State's office. So mm-hmm. now they're impersonating the government, not a rival political party. And uh, we have uh, people with declarations of that, that that's part of our lawsuit as well, is that, you know, one of these guys, he told them no on the phone and they still showed up at his house. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's when they said, we're with, we're with the State Board of Elections and other people, same thing happened. Can we see identification? No. Why is the State Board of Elections out here on a Sunday? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. things like yeah. that, you know, but also to the... the that uh, they would say things because people would say, "If you're the Green Party, why, why do you want? Why should I take my name off?" And they would say, "Oh, it's because we're actually on the ballot now." But you know, they try to make this like really weird kind of argument that somehow you, know, you could take your name off, it wouldn't hurt the Green Party, but if you keep your name on, it's going to help. But so anyway, it, these are the types of things we were seeing, like this very obvious fraud, this this deliberate uh, uh, operation to mislead uh, people, to lie to them, in order to get them to remove their signatures, and uh, as well as to making allegations about the county boards of elections, uh, saying the counties didn't do their jobs, uh, having people, I mean, so it really is um, uh, quite uh, uh, insidious. And no, I mean, no one I've spoken to has ever seen anything like this, where they've so brazenly uh, lied uh, in in the conduct of what they were doing in order to trying to get us off the ballot. So so I, I want to um,
0: say that those are very strong allegations and when I read it, I almost didn't believe it because it was just so ridiculous until I started uh, watching you go on, on, you know, these shows and these podcasts and you start producing the evidence, right? Because this isn't just Matt saying, hey, they're doing this, right? This isn't some silly lie that he's making. There's actual evidence of this. So I want to pause here for a second. I'm going to play a recording uh, that Matt has shared with us of a... Actually, do you, do you want to um,
3: uh, introduce what what the content of this recorded call is? Right. So as as I said, we had been told that people were calling saying they were at the Green Party. So we knew. So we were telling people, hey. And we were all getting the phone calls. Like I was mm-hmm. getting six or seven phone calls a day. I mean, that's one of the things is they were harassing in the way they were doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, an auto dialer system that could get past spam filters. You know, one of my friends, his wife got called four times in two and a half hours. So like that type of harassment, every time I tried to pick up the, the, the call though, the auto dialer would disconnect for whatever reason, you know, so I ended up getting text messages. But one of our, our, our folks actually you're gonna hear is he's actually the co-chair of the North Carolina green party because okay. we knew this was coming. We were prepared to, he was prepared to record it. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear Tony and Dege um, you know, uh, speaking to this caller. All right. Let's take a listen to that.
4: You're calling to confirm whether or not I
1: signed a petition. Mas, who are you calling with What organization? Oh, is this, is this the green party? Yes.
4: You're with the green party.
2: Yes. And we have you listed as wanting to get the candidates the North Carolina ballot Did you sign that. You
4: just... So, so you were calling
1: as a representative of the green party.
2: As a volunteer, yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I did sign it.
2: <laughs> okay. And would you say you strongly support it or just somewhat support it?
1: I mean, I don't think I'd sign something unless I try and strongly support it. Okay. Well, thank you for confirming. Animal participation
2: in elections is important. if have the Green Party's on the ballot. We'll take votes away from democrats giving republicans a huge advantage that will help them win north carolina in 2022 and 2024. there's far too much at stake to let this happen are you interested in asking to have your name removed from this petition or leave it as is i'm confused so if you're with the green party why are you asking to remove it?
4: are you at, i'm sorry <laughs> yes i totally agree.
3: you know when you hear the call it cuts off and right. that happened a number of times. It seemed mm-hmm. as that there was maybe a supervisor or someone who, when the question yeah. got turned up, they he would built. disconnect <laughs> the call. Yeah. I mean, this call is ridiculous. And it's
0: it's just absolutely funny, the mental gymnastics that they're trying to pull. Like, they didn't even have a very good script. You can hear when the guy goes into script mode and starts reading off whatever. You know, I'm going to paraphrase it. but. Oh, if you, uh, vote for the green party, it undermines the democratic party. And then, you know, like you're going to not be able to have abortions anymore. Right. Uh, or, or something that that affects, I think it's absolutely hilarious, uh, when he gets caught and, and he's saying like, Hey, you're with the green party. It's like, no, you're not, man. (laughs) I'm with the green party. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm the the co-chair
3: of the party. (laughs) Like I can tell you (laughs) we don't have people calling. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, You know, one of the things that's frustrating, but par for the course, this is what, again, we're arguing about, this is why we're doing this, Uh, as far as we know, we have not seen the State Board of Elections investigate any of this. Uh, Mm -hmm. We know that the State Board of Elections, like what they were doing to get people to retract signatures, first of all, the State Board of Elections, as far as as we can tell, does not allow signatures to be retracted from petitions. There's no process for that. We've Mm -hmm. seen their legal counsel say that. We have that in writing. Um, and then the other aspect of it is that even if it was, you have to have a pen on paper signature. Wet and signatures. what they were doing was they were mm-hmm. doing all electronically. And mm-hmm. so they knew this and they did it anyway, let alone impersonating uh, the Green Party and then let alone even further impersonating government agencies, the State Board of Elections or the Secretary of State's office. Does any so, of this
0: represent like, like a crime? Like is there any like legal- yeah, it sounds
3: like people should be going to jail. Yeah, you know, it it should be. I mean, when we first brought this up to the attention of the State Board of Elections, one of the investigators said, oh, that's, you know, uh, uh, that's uh, uh, voter harassment, intimidation, and interference or something. I mean, it's clearly what it is, as well as lying about who you are. And that's got to also violate all kinds of FCC things when you're texting people that, you know, and, and different things. The other thing, too, is like if you read some of these text messages, the way they set it up was like maniacal. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, very misleading. So, uh, you know. You got a text message, didn't I you? I got text messages. Mine were pretty straightforward. Mine was just basically the abortion stuff. But then they later on, they went and they talked about fraud, how we committed fraud, which we never committed fraud, you know, mm-hmm. and that they were saying this. And so the frustration is that we've not seen anything where the State Board of Elections is taking this seriously, what they are going to do anything about it. The only statement I've seen from the State Board of Elections from their executive director about this whole thing was that, oh, this is just canvassing. Right. So here we are in these circumstances where no one ever filed a complaint against us. They have never shown us any evidence of of the wrongdoing that would keep us from being certified. We were never provided with the due process to see the evidence, defend ourselves, any of that. And then again, no legal justification for why we weren't certified. Uh, Meanwhile, this group shows up from Washington, D.C., the Elias Law Group, which has a checkered past. You can look some of the stuff up where they've been reprimanded in court because they are so dirty. Uh, they come down here. They do this. They have complaints thrown at them right away. We, we, their evidence is provided where they are committing fraud, and we're told, "Oh, this is just normal canvassing." You know, so the 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 the, the crookedness and the, the you know in this, I have people ask me, "How come you didn't run as a Democrat?" And I, I said, "Well, one, I've never been a Democrat. I've never been a part of the party." You know, I've worked with Democrats, I was on a 501C4 a bunch of years ago that was mm-hmm. Democratic Party Aligned. It was the Council for a Livable World, you know, so it was a nuclear disarmament uh, 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 pack. And um, I, I've been around them, I've worked with them, I've certainly worked with enough up in, on Capitol Hill as well as Republicans. And you know, I, I, I'm not a Democrat for a number of reasons, but one of them is because it's a dirty party, just like the Republicans <laughs> are. They are corrupt. Mm-hmm. And the money is what rules. And you will see these people do things uh, with no concern for uh, not just principle, but for what it actually means in terms of what the consequences are. So you see that, yeah, here.
0: Just last point on this nefarious bit, how stupid could you be to actually, like? it's one thing to reach out to the people that signed a petition and try and get them to undo their signature, which to your point, is not a thing anyway, but okay, fine, you're canvassing, you're trying to change people's minds. How dumb can you be to put you, people like you, or the chair of the Green Party, on that list of people to reach out to you? Like that just seems like stupid. Yeah. Right? It, like, shouldn't you be on the suppression list? Like you and like a couple of big wigs in the Green Party yeah. should just immediately be on the do not call list.
3: Yeah, i uh, I was pretty surprised uh, that I got that text because I was getting these phone calls and I was thinking, and it, because it wasn't connecting, I was thinking, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's something else. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe that's not it. But the phone numbers looked right to me because we knew the phone mm-hmm. numbers that they were calling from. But then when mm-hmm. I got the text, I, you know, so it took me all of you know, uh, thirty seconds to tweet it out, you know. And then I got that's all hilarious. my well, I got all my friends who have you know much larger accounts than I do to retweet me. Mm-hmm. You know, thing went viral very quickly. And then that became a news story, and then that became, um, you know, one of the things about this too, the further illegality of it, and why isn't the State Board of Elections doing something about this? You know, further shows our point that the process is corrupt. It's a completely partisan takeover of a supposedly nonpartisan role of government. You know, these petition records, we go out there, we collect your, uh, we collect your, your name, your address, your birth date, and your signature. We can't use that for anything. The only thing we can do is we can turn that into the state for our petitioning purposes we can't take that and then like okay we've got these names put them in the database you know mm-hmm. we can't right and so what the, what the democratic party does is they get those signatures again in collusion with the governor's office which is uh, political interference um and they somehow match up the names with phone numbers and we think what they did was they they just cross-referenced with their donor databases i mean they have you know so because that's yeah, one of the things you are kind of notice is that right. the people who are getting called are people who may have given to the democratic party like my parents have never gotten called their friends at their conservative lutheran church have never gotten called they all signed my petition right these are mm-hmm. people who probably have never given to the democratic party but their kids uh you know kids and my parents friends have gotten called about this people who may have given so we, we that's where we think they got the phone numbers but the whole point of it is that the petitioning records are not to be used for political purposes. Mm-hmm. And here they are using it expressly for political purposes. And again, no action on the state board of elections part on this. No statements, no concern. We, we don't think they're doing anything about it. And again, it just shows the partisan control of the board of elections by the Democratic Party. And, and to be clear, I mean, people should understand, if the Republicans were in charge, it'd be the same thing. I mean, there's not one good side in this
0: right and if you were a conserv, as your to your earlier point if you were a conservative candidate let's say perhaps on a, a libertarian ticket or some other right-leaning uh, uh, party and you were doing the same the Republicans would be probably going after you just as just as deeply
3: I was gonna say this as an example of that uh, a quick story from North Carolina in 2016 a libertarian candidate for governor he got about a hundred thousand votes and the the uh, uh, which was more than the spread between the Democrat who won and the Republican incumbent who lost. And the Republicans are still having angerisms over that even though the Libertarian candidate was you know, among other things for marriage equality, for trans rights, ending the war on drugs, you know, uh, reducing, uh, you know, defunding the police, all those kinds of things, right? that no way lines them up at all with the republican uh uh governor and at that point too was, if people remember north carolina was dealing with um uh, uh some some major trend we were in, we had national attention because we had a bathroom bill you know this 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 thing to keep trans people out of bathrooms and we had just gone through a whole thing with marriage equality here, where they wanted to put marriage as a man between a woman and a man in the Constitution. I mean, so very big issues here in North Carolina. And the Republicans still claim that even though the Libertarian candidate was completely different than a Republican candidate on those major issues, they still say that he cost them the election.
1: Matt, what I was saying was that This this seems like it goes beyond uh, preventing you from spoiling the democratic campaign. Like I don't know if it's it's, I don't really know too much about uh, the the upcoming uh, senate race in North Carolina between the Republican and Democrat, and if it's going to be a uh, close race or not. But this seems like like a a special effort more than just preventing you from stealing democratic votes. Like it seems more like yeah, it seems like it's more of like a genuine kind of threat of a populist message Mm -hmm. and that they're trying to strangle your political career in the crib?
3: Yeah, no, there is some of that. Um, And look, I I could tell you, I had contacts in the Democratic Party. I don't know why they thought I was a Democrat. Like, I've been very clear and certainly been um, very open that I'm a socialist and all kinds of things. I thought maybe that they thought I would be more in line, but I'm I'm not, and I'm not going to go and compromise and be a part of something I don't believe and particularly when I believe the two party system is, is one of the very causes of our problems in society. Why would I contribute to that? Why wouldn't I try and, you know, uh, change it? Um, but yeah, no, the Democrats and Republicans, what they want for the race here for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina to be is just a debate on abortion and guns. And those are important yeah. things. But that's what they want the entire conversation to be about. The the uh, the Republicans want it to be a referendum on Biden, the Democrats want it to be a referendum on Trump, right? And that's the, that's the whole scale and scope of it. That is what they want to talk about. And they don't want to talk about any of the things that are, not, I'm not saying that because guns and abortion certainly are really important, but all the things that touch people's lives in terms of the economics, in terms of the war on drugs, in terms of you know, any of the, the issues that where their donations would be affected again, they don't want to talk about, they don't want to discuss. You know, again, this, this having a conversation about, um, you know, housing. You know, if you look and, and see what they, they say, the Democrat Republicans, they don't say anything really about it. If you try and dig and find something, it's all the same old nonsense we hear about tax credits and we got to rezone and et cetera, et cetera. All the crap we've heard about housing for decades that has done nothing but, you know, destroy the working class's chance to actually own a home of their own. You know, and they don't want to have that conversation. So that—that's what they want. And yeah, I mean, it is. It, I mean, I mean, it is flattering. You know, to agree that they sent their biggest and baddest down here right away. I mean, there's no one in their bullpen past Mark Elias. You know, what I mean, so to agree, it is flattering. But it also, too, I mean, I also know that it, it, it's—it's not—it's—it's it, the message. It's who we represent. It's these issues that they're afraid of. You know, some dude like me with a, a brain injury from the wars who can raise. I raise in a month what these guys raise in hours, right? They're not afraid of that. What they're afraid of is that having to talk about these things and people. And that's why it's interesting to see what Andrew Yang's doing. You know, it's interesting to see what the Libertarian Party's doing nationwide and, and, and this idea of how do we uh, uh, tap into this anger? Because that's what it is it's anger throughout the country. Uh, but unfortunately, we have this 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 lesser of evil two-party system, that this identity politics system of red versus blue, that gets people to just see the other side as evil, and we see that in the polling numbers. Like one of the things Yang talks about is that there's polls out there that show between 40 and 50 percent of Republicans and 40 and 50 percent of Democrats view the other party as evil. I mean, how do you have any reproachment with that? How do you actually ever get a conversation about issues when it's evil that we're, you're, you're up against? So, you know, it, it's a lot. I mean, certainly what we're, we're trying to do here is massive, but it has to be done because uh, uh, the current ruination that we're experiencing is only going to get worse. And then particularly as uh, the climate uh, collapse uh, accelerates, which it will.
0: So I, I want to talk a little history. Uh, we've done a... a few episodes just a couple episodes ago about in particular one subject one topic in u.s history uh, mccarthyism mm. way back in the 50s and you know in, in doing research for that i started coming to the opinion that and this is something that henry and i say kind of often you know we don't have a left like a, a left in the in this country we, we just don't um if, if you compare our quote unquote left the the Democrats, to any other Western nation our left is far right of their left right Right. Um, and so when we were talking about McCarthyism and we were talking about how Soviet spies became you know an issue uh, one major issues that they were able to uh, uh, acquire the knowledge on how to create a a nuclear weapon right through such you know um, through such spying that became the trigger to create a political witch hunt against Mm -hmm. any and all left-leaning ideologies to where you know and and it extended well beyond just your 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 government institutions It extended well beyond your you know the loyalty programs that they set up uh in the government it extended beyond your top three like industries that would have housed lefties like hollywood and universities and labor unions But it actually Mm. permeated throughout the culture in in this country where individual businesses and corporations were actually doing litmus tests political litmus tests to to either not hire not uh, promote or straight up fire people on political grounds for having left-leaning ideologies and it's becoming apparent to me that the reason why we don't have a left here is because it was politically dangerous a generation ago to have Mm -hmm. those thoughts and now it seems like we're starting to get a resurgence of that. And that's threatening to that duopoly. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that and, and whether you
3: feel similarly. Oh, I, I think, you know, look, the first workers' movements begin in the, what, the, the second, really begin in the second half of the 19th century, right? And you have like the populace or the People's Party. And they represent, um, aspects of that represents the farmers, uh, but then there's also a labor aspect that comes into it as we begin industrialization. And then that turns into the socialist and the progressive parties of the, uh, of the early 20th century. And the fear that that puts into the, uh, uh, the, the powers to be, right? The, the, again, the, the Wall Street, the corporations, the banks, um, is, yeah, is monumental. It, it's existential for them. That they will have some type of threat that will diminish their control, uh, their complete control over the American political process. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you see that. One of the things a friend of mine was just explaining to me before is that these ballot access laws that we have that, um, uh, you know, really seek to ensure throughout the country, all states are different, some are worse than others. Uh, but these ballot access laws we have seek to ensure that the two parties in power are the ones who get to decide who else is on the ballot. And my understanding is that begins in the 1930s as a way to keep the communist and socialist parties off the ballot. I mean? So you see this throughout, uh, you know, this reaction to these worker movements, to these labor movements, to these movements that we would associate with the left. As a way to keep them out of power, to exclude them, and to ensure you know corporate control over capitalist control over the two parties, the Democratic and Republican Party, um, and yeah, I mean, absolutely, there's there's parallels to that. I, I think uh, the idea that there would be an option politically for people to vote in their for their interests as opposed to ultimately the interests of uh, you know, the big money donors is very appealing to people. Uh, people are, are, uh, are they are angry, they are upset, they are dismayed, uh, you know, half of Americans identify as unaffiliated, uh, 62% of Americans want a third party. I mean, all these numbers that, that are out there that we know about, you know, anywhere between 80 and 100 million Americans don't vote every, every presidential election, between 80 and 100 million. You know, I mean, that's usually the biggest voting block for president. The People are the people who don't vote. And um, the idea that somehow those people could be brought into a movement that would seek to unsettle the current political and economic structure is incredibly dangerous. And that's existential. And that's one of the things we take on. Like, I'll push back and I'll say, no, I'm not a spoiler, but I'm happy to be a disruptor. Absolutely. That's what we want to do. We want to disrupt the system. We want to build a party on the left that's part of a larger party, a larger leftist movement, right? Because a political party that functions for itself is entirely worthless. It has to just be one arm of a larger body. We want to push these issues to force the Democrat and Republican parties to address them and take them on. You know, the Populist Party or People's Party is a good example. You know, same with the progressives and socialists, the labor stuff that they pushed eventually Democrats and Republicans took those things on, they assumed them, and that's fine with me. Like I've said, if, if Mitch McConnell's the one who gives us, who gives our people uh, universal health care, that's fine with me, you know, but have these issues be something that they are forced to take on because of the pressure. And then the third aspect is that uh, this disruption, run candidates continuously, multiple parties, independent candidates, have these grassroots campaign in this two-party structure, in this first-past-the-post system, and it will disrupt it. It will put stress on it and it will break. And at then the system will have to reform. Then they'll have to do something to save the system. You cause enough mayhem in these races by running multiple candidates, the Democrats and Republicans will have to take on Things like ranked choice voting, proportional representation, getting rid of the Electoral College, things like that. So those are kind of the three prongs or the strategy that we have that totally then puts us in the sights of those who want to maintain the current system. And then, of course, we'll go to any lengths, as you described, including McCarthyite-type tactics in order to keep us out.
4: It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. You'll hear advice on everything from how to build confidence to how to get the best night's sleep. New episodes drop every weekday, and each one is five minutes or less, so you only have to listen a little to get a lot more out of your weekdays. Listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast.
1: I think, I think it may, may just be populism in general, but there's been a very strong attempt to just strangle it out and to keep it out. But in, in like our current political environment, and I guess this has been going on since I was really born, since I've been you know, paying attention to things like Sean Hannity's show, the narrative is like from, from the Republican side is like, oh, no, we have the radical left agenda from Lindsey right. Pelosi or Nancy Pelosi, I don't know why I just said Lindsay, for the radical left agenda from Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, the picture is painted from a large segment of the American right that average liberals are socialist or, or hardcore leftist, right. which, which could don't exist. Nothing, <laughs> but which, which doesn't yeah. exist. And, like, the argument that I always make is that I think that the... Uh, any type of like real left wing movement in the Democratic Party has been uh, either um, it has largely been subverted. And I think that applies to the Republican Party as well in terms of populism. like you know the Trump movement ran on a populist message. Now the Trump movement is just a banner for like the what for uh, for like Lindsey Graham. Like Lindsey Graham is uh, is like a guy who's encouraging. Uh, Trump to run again and, and running on the America First ba- banner. So um, these major political parties, Republicans and Democrats, they will use the messaging of, you know, the, the, of uh, either the populist right or the populist left. But at the end of the day, they're, they're just you know, Republicans or Democrats. They're
3: not any different from the rest of them. Yeah, the uh, and it's fear the messaging is fear. Uh, I mean, I I tend to look at the Democrats messaging and uh, To say working working families their messaging and they've paid lip service to them for decades You know, they abandoned them at some point and they really begin to abandon them uh, after McGovern in 72 but certainly as they see the success of Reagan and then by Clinton they've they've abandoned uh, the working class, you know particularly with NAFTA and other things and um what I feel like their messaging has been has been be happy with the crumbs we're giving you because these other guys aren't going to give you any, right? And then the Republicans' message is that to their people and it has become much more nativist, uh, right? In their, like, much more nationalist in their, you know, in, in, in their, they've, I guess they've always been that. Really, I guess, I mean, so much of this goes back to, say, 72, right? When, um, when Nixon adopts uh the strategy to take you know those what what george wallace got what like 11 million votes or something like that in 68 running on a segregationist platform he took the whole south or most of the south and nixon in 72 then adopts that right the southern strategy and you know so they've had this nationalist white nationalist nativist type of racist kind of uh, strategy uh messaging and i feel like their messaging to their folks has been you know the Democrats are going to take your crumbs and give them to the people that don't deserve them, right? So it's either if you're a Democrat, you're being told the other guys won't give you any crumbs, at least we give you crumbs, and the Republicans, if you're a Republican, you're being told the crumbs you have are going to be taken and given to people who don't deserve any crumbs, you know? And that's the messaging, uh, and people have <laughs> unfortunately been living like that under that fear. That's,
0: that's, that's a hilarious analogy. Uh, that's, it's, it's so incredibly true because they are crumbs. We're not, yeah, we're not getting yeah. a, a uh, any meaningful slice of the pie here yes yeah. that's absolutely hilarious
1: well to talk about uh bipartisanship I mean there is uh, some recent bipartisanship between uh, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell um, Na- Mitch McConnell is supporting Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan uh, which allegedly is still supposed to happen um, you know he came out and said that you know he he supports her going there which is uh, I don't know what I, I we haven't talked to you in a while, so I, I I would love to hear your general take on American foreign policy because that is something that Republicans and Democrats are are 100% in lockstep Correct. on. Um, I mean, there's like a handful of Republicans who voted against the the aid package to Ukraine. Um, I think most of that is not a principled stance on mm-hmm. it. I think most of it's an anti-Biden thing. Um, right. maybe a couple of the more libertarian ones, like Thomas Massey, uh, are being principled, but I think a lot of them are just being anti- Biden on it, like Josh Halley. But um, they they're in lockstep with foreign policy. They're both um, seem to be um, they agree on on increasing hostilities both against China and Russia. It's kind of funny because the Democrats they point they paint Republicans as Putinist, like people who the pro-Putin party, yeah. but there's Republicans who are way more hawkish than Democrats on Russia. So it's kind of it's just a crazy uh, political environment where everyone's just being smeared as uh, either a Chinacom, a Chaicom or uh, a <laughs> Russian agent or Putin agent. We get that a lot. We're, we're called Russian agents all the time.
3: Yeah, yeah, I get that. I, I I get that occasionally. You know, like you'll see on Twitter, uh, is, is your check from the Kremlin? You get a paper check, or is it direct deposit? Oh, yeah, we, you know, like that kind of stuff. Which I think you know, get robots, Bitcoin, stuff. don't you? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I think a lot of those people are just like they're paid, um, like social media activists. Like I don't. I think the the amount of people who are really hunting because it seems so coordinated. Like right. right, a lot of this stuff. Like if if you say anything against like not even I mean, we're not talking about people who are praising the flag of Russia and are like, I love Vladimir Putin and I praise, you know, I have a Z symbol. We're talking about people who are just like, um, I think NATO expansion was a huge mistake. It, it, it definitely put us in a position where there is a European war. Now we're close to a nuclear uh, holocaust and we need to do whatever we can to stop this from happening. Right. right we need yeah. to stop the war that's needless suffering. That's a pro-Putin message. Exactly. Like the, the, yeah. the 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 um, the <laughs> Ukrainian government came out with a list of of Russian propagandists in the U.S. or people, at the very least, who are allegedly uh, talking pro-Putin talking points. And um, I'll be honest, I was like looking through the list, and I know some of the people on that list. We've interviewed some of the people on that list, right? So it's just. Um, it's just it's just it's crazy. It's crazy.
3: It, yeah, it, it, but it, it is it, it, it's we've seen it before, you know, particularly with the Russia stuff. We've seen it for 100 years, you know, it goes back to the, the end of the First World War, the Russian Civil War, uh, Russian Revolution, Russian Civil War. You know, I mean people forget the United States and a bunch of other Western European nations had troops in Russia uh, in, interfering in that civil war, trying to put the monarchy or at least the capitalists back in power over the Bolsheviks. Uh, you know, we had we had troops on both sides of Russia. We had troops in Siberia and uh, up uh, in the western part of, of of Russia. So I mean, it's this has been going on for a hundred years. It's effective. Uh, it, it's just red meat. That you know, pardon the pun, but like it is. It just. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a tweet about Ukraine a few weeks ago or, or something, and I basically, you know, saying a pox on all sides. You know, I view the, this war as a, a war that is a, 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 a it was an, in, an inevitable war uh, due to uh, desire for fossil fuel control, desire for commerce, and megalomania uh, in both DC and Moscow and London. And um, first tweet, the first person who responded to the tweet called me pro Putin. And the second person who responded called me an American imperialist. So I felt I did something right, that I was on both sides. Sounds uh, like it sounds know. like
0: our reviews on, on bro history. I feel like we're constantly threading the needle between saying <laughs> what Russia is doing in Ukraine is bad and also what we've been doing for years is bad. Right? Like, it's just there we
3: have this, you know, Danny, we have this insane binary structure that permeates everything. And it, everything is, is, is left or right, uh, A or B, blue versus red. And so it's impossible to have a nuanced understanding of something as so complex as a war in eastern europe uh without being considered either the you know the utility of one side or the other it, it, it's we have this it's a this this our understanding of 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 events of of circumstances of antecedents of all these different reasons for things to be in our current media structure, everything has to come down to an A versus B construct or it's invalid. It's, un, it's not understandable or it's corrupted. So, yeah, for you guys to, to, to put forward uh, a nuanced, uh, contextual uh, you know, a, a, a explanation of something, uh, it doesn't fit. You're putting the round peg into a square hole here and, of course, they're going to reject you for it. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit just for an
0: interesting hypothetical I wave mm-hmm. a magic wand and Matt Ho is now the first green president of the United States Well, I'm only running for Senate so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know if this is a this is a, a fun little idea. What do we what do we? Uh, what does President <sighs> Ho do about? Uh, specifically Ukraine and uh, Russia, but also looking towards China it seems like you know our duopoly is pushing
3: us in those
0: directions what,
3: what does matt ho do in that yeah situation? well i'm reminded of i can't remember if it was howard zinn or noam chomsky who said if he was president they asked him you're president what would you do and he said resign i can't remember if it was Zinn or chomsky who said that but um, But you can't resign um, you gotta do something <laughs> you can't resign i'm stuck there all right um you know with, with russia what i've said is that I would go and I would speak to both Zelensky and to Putin. The fact that, like, say, Biden's not spoken to Putin is just what do we elect a guy for? You know, and the same thing, the fact that his secretary of state has not spoken with Lavrov, the Russian foreign foreign ministry, in, in, in six months, you know, is just what are, what are these people supposedly doing? Well, they're transactional. They want to make sure the money keeps flowing. You know, they want to make sure the power structures are in their favor. So if they're not going to talk to anyone, that's not going to benefit them. That's how these people got into power, and that's how they'll remain in power. That's how they see it. But I would go, and I would speak to both Zelensky and Putin, and I would say to Putin, look, I was in the wars. I saw what happened. The only way the United States were able to go through those wars is because we have the world's reserve currency. We are able to fund it. We were able to do it. We were able to spend $7 trillion directly on the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and come out of it. You cannot do that. You will destroy your country, and you will um, not achieve the objectives you're looking for because we can and we will continue to fund the war against you. That will only end in ruin for everyone involved. And then I would go on my whole pitch about war has, is uncontrollable, just you know your history, Vlad, et cetera, et cetera. The Frankenstein monsters that will come out of this will be a repercussion, a consequence uh, that we cannot predict and that we cannot control. And I would say more or less the same thing to Zelensky. You know, is that look, I what the only thing that I can notice for certain is your country is going to continue to be ruined and if this will not end the way anyone tells you it's going to end. And that's my great fear about the American strategy here. Is the American strategy appears to me and to many others to be simply keep the war going, and that the war will exhaust Russia, and that the Putin government will fall because of that exhaustion. And I think it's more likely that the Zelensky government will fall before the Putin government does. And then what comes from that, we don't know. Let alone all the things that you guys have spoken about and what you just implied—the idea that this gets out of hand, and it goes into nuclear war—and you know, but the, the, that, that's what I would do. And um, I mean, give, you know, there's a famous thing, uh, Sun Tzu, the, uh, the famous Chinese military theorist from cent- from thousands of years ago. The Art of War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the guy, yeah, he wrote The Art of War. Uh, he speaks about when you're in a circumstances like this where your enemy has done something like Russia has done and they've invaded and now they're stuck, give them a golden bridge give them a way to get out. And that's what I would seek to do, give them a way to get out. My goals would be uh, a ceasefire, my goals would be a political settlement and a return to borders in the sense of that the Russian army is out of Ukraine. I would also be seek to go forward with what we saw in 2015 with the Minsk II Accords which I think many people thought was a viable way forward have an autonomous eastern Ukraine uh, and, and enforce neutrality. In that area, and that's what I would attempt to do is enforce neutrality. Uh, it's the uh, the arguments for anything else uh, lead to the same place, as far as I'm concerned: escalation, loss of control, and then God help us. Uh, what we see, you know, look at Vietnam: uh, complete loss on the American side. Uh, catastrophe in a number of different ways, but you know, look what happens in Cambodia with Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. I mean, something that is just you know couldn't be predicted. It happened. A quarter million Cambodians are dead. Because, I'm sorry, one in four Cambodians are killed because of it. Uh, the fact that it didn't cause much greater uh, distress throughout that region is a miracle. You know, and then same say in Afghanistan. Very clear. Al Qaeda is a good example. Taliban are an example. Iraq. Uh, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, Syria, the Islamic State, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, so that's my argument. And the same with China. Uh, I'm very sympathetic to the Chinese, and that doesn't make me a, a yeah, Chinese communist or anything like that. It just makes me a student of the American military and our stupidity. You keep pushing the Chinese, they will push back, just like he kept pushing Putin. He's good. Anyone who thought that Putin was not going to keep pushing is, it, 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 it is either too dumb or they were in on it. This idea that you don't have to say that the war in Ukraine was provoked, but we certainly had expectations that these would be the results. And when you stage a coup in 2014 and Putin's response then is to take Crimea and to foment and put troops into eastern Ukraine and have a whole civil war there that kills 15,000 people, and you keep pushing him and you think that he's going to back down, when we saw what happened in Syria, where we were, oh, we'll, just, we'll just stand up for the Russians in Syria. No, he intervened and he, he, helped, he helped Assad win the war and the American government lost there. I mean, like, so the idiocy that dominates our foreign policy thinking, it's all the same groups of people. I mean, you're talking about a couple hundred people total on both the Republican and Democratic Party side that are in control of these foreign policies. And the same with China. The idea that eventually we're just going to keep pushing China and China eventually is going to say, oh, you know what, we're we're just going to let you do whatever you want. That's fine. I mean, for 25 years, they have been saying to us, if you keep driving your aircraft carriers up to our coasts and humiliating us, we will respond. And at some point, they will. At some point, they will. And again, we, we can claim, well, we didn't fire the first shot, but it doesn't matter. The results were expected, they were known. You know, a couple of years ago, when Putin says to his generals, to his generals, we have no place left to retreat to, and we didn't take that seriously, we thought that he would not, you know, so then you have to either, were we dumb enough to think he wasn't going to do anything, or did we expect him to do something, and then we kept doing everything we can to ensure that result was achieved? in the same danger with China, of course. You know, you keep doing this, you keep pushing the Chinese, at some point they will respond. You know, and terrific, good example of how the Chinese have responded. For decades the Chinese had 300 nuclear weapons. That's it. Because that's all they thought they needed, right? Now they're building a force of a thousand nuclear weapons because we keep pushing them, we keep pushing them, we keep pushing them. And we've built nuclear weapons ourselves that now make that Chinese deterrence of 300 not feasible any longer for them. And so now, great, we've got a China that's moving towards 1,000 nuclear weapons when they used to have 300. It's a consequence of our policies. you know. And, and so as a president, if I was the president, those would be the types of things I would bring forward, I would understand. And you know, my favorite Eisenhower quote is one that most people don't know. And it comes from Susan Eisenhower. And supposedly at one point he's in the Oval Office and he looks at the chair in the Oval Office and he says, I pity this nation when a man sits in that chair who does not understand the military as I do. And what Eisenhower wasn't talking about, he wasn't, didn't mean like you had to be a tactician or a strategist or understand logistics or anything like that. You had to know that the generals and admirals always lie. And that's what he was talking about. And so in those positions I would understand that the generals and admirals always lie. And that's why we don't have enough of them in Congress. I mean I'm very critical of, of say the House Armed Services Committee, the Senate Armed Services Committee. You ever watch one of their hearings on C-SPAN? All those folks, Democrat or Republican, whatever the general or admiral says, they all nod in agreement like a bunch of bobblehead dolls. And uh, we've gotten to the point now where, yeah, we are at a very dangerous spot. And it's going to continue to get more dangerous unless we do something. So
0: specifically Taiwan, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's the next go, right? We've been talking about, like, what would happen? How could a Taiwan invasion go down? and even though it seems incredibly unlikely, now looking back at you know Russia invading Ukraine, you start thinking about it a little differently. And there's a lot of politicians now starting to talk about it. Even Biden said the quiet part out loud by saying like, hey, no, we're going to back Taiwan if anything goes down, which seems like, again, another aggression towards China.
1: So use the same language, ironclad. He said that about relationship with Ukraine is ironclad. And then he used the word ironclad to describe our relationship with Taiwan. Um, And and just mind you, this comes from not just the Democrats. This comes from the Republicans as well. Like Mike Pompeo, I mean, there's a chance that Trump will be president in 2024. And there's a big chance that Mike Pompeo will be serving in his office again. Like I don't, there's no evidence to to me to suggest that Donald Trump will um, have a new uh Cabinet of like non-interventionists like Douglas McGregor. Like I can very well see him bringing in someone like Mike Pompeo who has zealously promoted this war, who had a speech the other day who called uh, uh, Israel, Taiwan, and or was it Jerusalem, Taiwan? The Three GBA Lighthouses three, speech. It three was cool. Lighthouses?
0: And, and he These says the pillar zeal- of like democracy is Israel, sluggish. Taiwan, and Ukraine. Like, we need yeah. to uphold those three pillars. Otherwise, all of democracy goes down, which is a little crazy for me. Because, like, I get Ukraine because it's relevant right now. And I get Taiwan because it could be a thing there. But is there impending doom right now in Israel? Like, I mean, if you're asking Bibi Netanyahu, you know, Iran's That's been just six Pompeii, weeks away he from— He wakes up
1: every day and he asks himself how he can support Israel. That's it just, it just, it just seems like he just threw
3: that one in there for fun, you know. Yeah, like, I, I think with Israel, there's a there's a romance with it. There's a there's, a, there's this relationship with uh, this this Alamo of democracy, right uh, in the Middle East. Didn't the, we the lose East. in the Alamo? Though? We did, and the <laughs> Alamo also too was about like trying to steal Texas to make it a slave nation uh, <laughs> from Mexico, right? You know, what I mean. So the um, but this idea that it is it is a, a, a bastion. It is a a a fortress uh, against uh, you know of white civilized Christian Judeo uh, against brown Muslim people. I mean, there's there's the historical uh, romanticism of the Crusades is peppered all throughout this. Uh, There's religious overtones. Many of these people are are real believers. They are these are people who believe in revelations. They believe in the rapture. These are people who believe this type of stuff. These are are you know all's well too I wrote this this essay a number of years ago a couple of years ago now on Pete Buttigieg and this notion that you know uh, what's the saying uh, beware of men who live illus- who live the illusion of danger so you have these these people like Mompeo who uh, believe in the myth of redemptive violence if I can quote Walter Wink the idea that we are somehow the Resistance in Star Wars up against the evil empire, without, of course, seeing that we are the empire, right? But this idea that somehow they can use violence to achieve the desires they have, their grand uh, desires of, of, you know, fulfilling some kind of destiny in the world. There are others who um, who see themselves as wanting to fill a historical role. Right? I mean, you saw this with a couple of American generals during the wars, this idea that we are now in, I can't remember, the fifth generation of warfare, and that these men wanted to become those who were known for that, that they were the the greats of this generation of warfare, just as you had Grant and Lee, how you had Pershing, how you had MacArthur and Eisenhower, et cetera, et cetera. You need to have your Petraeus and the Crystal and those are, don't forget, I mean, just to because to, I always want to give a chance to to remind people how insane D.C. is, about 12 years ago, loving years ago, there was a big effort in Washington, D.C. to make General Petraeus a five-star general, right? I mean, let's not forget those kinds of things. Like, so when I talk about the romance of it, that's all very real. And then there are just plain stupid people. I don't know about the Chinese military, but both the Russian military and the American military have flag and general officers who believe that nuclear warfare is winnable. Uh, that we have people who believe that we have usable nuclear weapons. That's how they call them. And we can't forget that during the Cold War, both sides, both NATO and the Warsaw Pact, had plans to use tactical nuclear weapons right away. Not like, oh, things aren't going so well on day thirty-six, so we're gonna we're gonna drop a nuke here. No, both the Warsaw Pact and NATO had plans to utilize nuclear weapons right away. You know, I mean, so there is historical realities to us that should help us understand that the personalities involved here are personalities that we have to take serious and we have to understand who they are and what they want to accomplish. And so this idea, this romance of Israel, right? This idea that uh, if you go back and you say, you read uh, Herman Woke's novel, The Glory or whatever about Israel, that somehow that, you know, I mean, which is completely undone by any reality of it. But uh, you know, this is who these people are and Pompeo, uh, has the ability to influence people like Trump. And it sounds good. It sounds romantic. It makes you sound like a hero. Uh, and what you really are is, a, is, is a, the, the orchestra of, of organized murder.
1: Because right now, right now, I mean, we have three. I mean, we have more than three hot spots in the world right now. But, I mean, there's three ones that obviously scare me and I think scare most people. And that's a, the ongoing situation in Russia and, and Ukraine the potential situation with uh, Taiwan and China, and then the chance of war between Iran and Israel. Um, it's, it, it, there just seems to be really no uh, effort to, um, to settle these or to, uh, to um, decrease hostilities or, or to, to end these. It it just it just seems like constant escalation. You know, I'm convinced that the only reason why we're not in like full scale war is because there's a handful of realists embedded in the deep state in the government who 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 are not who have some type of restraint. Because it just it seems more than corruption. Like it seems more than just MIC profits. It seems like there really is this kind of radical belief in um, American hegemony. And it's it's just scary. It just it just seems like there's not there's nothing that is going to put this fire this um put this
3: fire out right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's megalomania. I mean, like you, you take take a take a columnist like someone who is very tied into all this, a guy like Max Boot, and who oh boy. Right, exactly. But you look and look at the prominence he has, look at the role he plays in our society, and how he is so well. Uh, respected by both elements of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party uh, and he believes in the destiny of America and whether he believes that that destiny is something that a higher power will deliver or we have to make that destiny, he believes in that and he thinks that we are righteous and that our actions, no matter how murderous or how corrupt or crooked they are, are righteous just for the fact that we are Americans. You I mean and you have that so you have those people all throughout and I, th- I think you're actually right you're absolutely right Henry there is a core that has resisted it but you know I mean not to discount the profits like my friend Mike Ferner says even losing wars make money you know which is why you can lose a war for 20 years in Afghanistan and you know make record profits off of it you know same with the Iraq war or anything else the Vietnam War um, but you know there also is too this very real desire for power, this very real desire for control, and we can argue all day over which is more important. But you have to understand that both exist, and that the what we can assign and look at in history in terms of historical figures, I think very often we're reluctant to assign those t- same type of personality uh, deficiencies, if you will, to current uh, uh, people in power. You know, I mean, certainly if you look at uh, uh, people. Uh, uh, you know historically who have chosen to pursue uh, just absolutely mad schemes Uh, you know you look back and you say well obviously that person was this or that you know you can explain them and we tend not to do that I feel now with people like Max Boot or people like Mike Pompeo or you know people like Jake Sullivan who is more than happy to uh, say how he is in favor of uh you know, supporting the people of Ukraine at the same time while we destroy the people in Yemen. you know, um, Like that type of hypocrisy, that in- intense um, disbelief in principle. But again, what we have in power are people that are transactional. These are uh, uh, influence peddlers. They are resource peddlers. And that's who's in power, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. You know, getting the right people in and out the door to make sure everything continues to spin the way it's supposed to spin, and everyone's supposed to get the money, supposed to get, and you're supposed to get the next office you want. I mean, that's who we have in power. But the danger is very real uh, with a Trump presidency that you have brought in a, 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 a level of, of thinkers who are quixotic, right? Who are romantic in their thoughts, and they use that in the worst possible way. Who believe in the use of violence for redemption you know and certainly this idea that there is destiny behind like say Israel and there is destiny in Israel helping us to right the wrongs of the Persian Empire of the Islamic Republic you know etc cetera, etc cetera. that's how they see this and that's also why they're so able to like literally look at all the bad things about Iran and then completely dismiss all the bad things about Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's this trip that Joe Biden took a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, where he went and he visited with Israel, with Saudi Arabia, and then with Egypt. I mean, like the three most repressive human rights countries in the world, he met with you know day after day. And the fact that the American media allows that without any type of, of, of protest I mean, it shows just the corruption that underlies American foreign policy. And then when you place people on top of that, like a Pompeo, you're in a very dangerous position.
0: I think Kim Jong-un right now is pretty pissed off. And he's uh, probably launching another rocket into the uh, right. ocean because no one's paying attention to him. Uh, no one's yeah. saying that he's a pillar of, uh, <laughs> of freedom. Um, right. That's, that's, right. Um, it's a crazy world we live in here, man. I want to be respectful of your time, Matt. You've been with us and have shared so much of it with you. I want to give you a couple minutes here at the end to just kind of plug yourself, tell us how we can find you, how we can support you in your, um, in your campaign if, if it ever <laughs> comes back to life here. And, uh, you know, uh, anything else you want to talk about here?
3: Well, yeah, like I said, we're in federal court. We're fighting against two Goliaths, you know, so we've got David versus Goliaths fight, you know, both against the Democratic Party, not the local Democratic Party, but the Washington, D.C. Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee and against the State Board of Elections. So we're fighting against the DSCC and the state of North Carolina in court, as well as in the media, everywhere else. We need people's help. Uh, We are a grassroots campaign. Like I said, I raise in a month what the democrats and republicans raise in a few hours uh, i need people to donate so we can keep up this legal fight and that we can then campaign and actually have bring these types of of issues into the debate into the the into the overall campaign because otherwise they're not going to be there like i said if, if we're not in the race single-payer health care affordable housing living wages ending the war on drugs climate action all these things all the things we talk about today are not going to be present so people can donate Please do encourage others to donate. You can go to MatthewHoForSenate.org and donate there, and uh, be very appreciative. And it, again, we are in a David versus Goliath fight here. We are up against Leviathan, and we need people's help. There,
1: there you have it, guys. Um, Matt, thanks for thanks for joining. Um, we really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, again, it's um, it's it just the the whole story is. Um, I don't know. It really kind of um, upset me in a weird way. Um, I know. I think Danny feels the same way. With with the coordinated uh, machinations to just undercut your campaign, it's just cra- it's just crazy. Like it's um it's a crazy story. And um and uh, something else that you brought up that I actually kind of went on a rabbit hole during the show was the the real the the corporate. Uh, corporations p- purchasing up um, um, houses in North Carolina I didn't know that was an issue in North Carolina and that's what I feel like you should be doing with your with your time at, uh, you know running for political office is, is talking about you know things like that so like this especially annoys me um, that you know they that that this is kind of the the shit that you have to deal with right now um, right
3: right right and in and, and that That issue of corporations buying homes, that's not something that just organically happened in the free market. The way that comes about is because when President Obama decides not to bail out the 10 million families that lost their homes during the Great Recession and instead bails out the banks, the banks begin to then purchase, using the money from the bailout, the homes that were foreclosed on, so the homes that those 10 million American families lost, are now being purchased by corporations. And that's the genesis of this. And so 10 years later here we are where you now have these entities these structures designed to do exactly that and where does it all begin it begins with obama's bailout at the banks when he let american families lose their homes rather than support them and so it's not some type of this is just the way the economy works the way free market works god bless capitalism no this is the deliberate choices of government by our politicians to support one over the other to make sure corporations win while workers lose you know, and this is why we're doing it. But no, I appreciate your time, guys, and thanks for letting me talk. And yeah, people should be outraged. Uh, you know, if you want, you can say all we can say all we want about whether or not we have a democracy here in the U.S. But when we see we see something like this, you know that it's not right and it needs to be corrected.
0: And I just want to add for all the folks out there that listen that are of the right leaning conservative or even libertarian perspectives that might not necessarily agree with everything that uh, Matt wants to do you should be upset about this too um, because if it's not Matt it's going to be someone on your side at some point and you know this duopoly is really the problem it's not necessarily the politics so just think about that. yeah
1: think about think about the precedent of canvassing now right (laughs) what you can do under the guise of just saying oh yeah we're canvassing
3: yeah you know and that's the whole thing this is why this is a this is this the situation here is of national significance that this has importance far beyond North Carolina If this precedent stands, this essentially means that whatever political party party is in power, it has the right to determine who its opposition is based upon its whim, based upon its arbitrary preference, and not upon any type of established rule of law. And that's what we're experiencing here. Again, we've never been provided evidence of what was wrong, we've never been provided due process, and we've received no legal justification. So if that's allowed to occur to us and that precedent stands, then that can be used against any. Third party, independent party, grassroots campaign—whether it's Democrats or Republicans in power—simply to ensure that their power is protected.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, all right, everyone, if you want to support the show, make sure you rate and review the podcast. That is the number one way to support our show. And then you can also join us on Patreon, where you get access to our Slack channel. Um, Danny, anything to add?
0: Next episode is going to be a really hard episode to follow up this one, <laughs> which has been awesome, but happy reminder to everybody please rate and specifically review us especially on itunes because next episode we're going to be reviewing reviews because apple doesn't let us <laughs> do that on their platform so tell us what you think tell us about what you thought about uh, our show with matt tell us what you liked tell us what you disliked we're going to talk about all of it and hopefully we're going to have a lot of fun doing it.
1: all right all right peace guys peace